says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. It being Wednesday means it's time to get the, uh, I suppose, the adventures of the unassociated press in Australia in here. So without further ado, boys. News team, assemble! Uh, I'm not sure if I should call you Captain Eel America or something, 60s, but welcome to the show, mate. How are you doing? <laughs> no, I'm far from Captain, mate. Uh, but I'm doing real well because who couldn't be doing well in a week where you're talking about prelim finals and the Eels are still part of it, mate? Nothing better. Nothing and our, better. our very own, not quite Norse god from the uh, heavens himself, Spiro. How you doing, mate? Going well, guys, and, and just on top of the world after... The big win against the Raiders on Friday night, great result for the club and, and has a lot of meaning for a lot of people just to progress to a preliminary final. So the build-up's been awesome and I'm sure it'll only ramp up between now and Friday night. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk Mate. about. I'll, I'll let 60s take the handles in a second, but you know, just the NRL never stops with the new cycle, does it? With teams out of the finals, in the finals, there's plenty to talk about. Uh, but yeah, 60s, what are we going to take off from the top here, mate? Well, mate, let's let's just dig into Parramatta straight away. And Spiro's just touched on the Raiders. So, mate, how about you give us your takes on that big win that the Eels had over Canberra? It was probably the full 80-minute performance that the side has put in, or the best full 80-minute performance the side has put in all year. We know that some weeks we have those little lapses where we go in and out of a game or there are 20-minute blocks where we sort of take our foot off the accelerator when we shouldn't. But I just felt that on Friday night, it was a complete performance. For the full 80, we were there, we were dominant, we were in front, we took control of the game, and we haven't seen a lot of that this year. So we probably saved one of our better performances for Friday night, and I feel that there's still a lot more in the tank. But standout for me had to be Dylan Brown and his running game. Heaps more confidence. You can just see it. The look on his face and the way that he's playing and his running game He's, he ran for over 300 metres on Friday night, I think 321 metres, which is just phenomenal for any player, let alone a 5'8". And a, a massive effort from him. And, and if he can continue to do that over the next week and, and hopefully the next two weeks, I think Parramatta go a long way to, to winning the title. It's about the halves. And what we saw from uh, Dillbags was fantastic on Friday. And Mitchell Moses as well, his halves partner, just magnificent. You know, slick, brilliant performance. Um, credit to Jake Arthur as well, came on during that 20-minute period and did his job, didn't concede any points and, and put in a really good stint and great to see that the fans supported Jake after that, that effort. And also, Murata Niakore, uh, he's just having his best season yet. I remember watching his debut back in, I believe it was 2018 at ANZ Stadium. It was, it was called... ANZ Stadium back in the day and mm-hmm. I remember Murata coming off the bench and, and playing some minutes and I thought, gee, this guy's a, a great talent. So to see him scoring tries and shifting into that centre role and being able to perform really well was impressive for me on Friday night as well. Yeah, I think really looking at the way that the Eels switched their point of attack against the Raiders, their, their big forwards were obviously going to be 
uh, crucial to how they performed against Parramatta. But right from the start, there were just uh, little subtle shifts of where the Eels were attacking with carrying the ball. It kept putting the Raiders on the back foot. And as you mentioned, as soon as there's that little bit of space, Dylan was just, give it to me. Like that's basically how how he was. And we saw him playing on both sides of the ruck. So there were times where he and Mitch linked up. It was it was just magnificent halves play from both of them, really. The the combination was just really on song on Friday night. And that's what you want. You know, if you want to win a premiership in the NRL, it does ultimately come down to your halves combination and how well they're pairing and playing together. And I feel that after that Bulldogs game, that Saturday afternoon match, ever since then, both of the halves have been exceptional and they've worked so well together. And that's been a, a huge part of our success in the last little while. And watching Dylan Brown play as well, it gives me a, a little bit of a Cameron Munster style feel. You know, the fact that he's running with so much confidence and playing free-flowing style of football, it gives me a lot of hope as a, as a fan to know that you know, there's not pressure on either Mitch or Dylan to perform. They're both just doing their job. And as a result, they're both playing really good footy because there's less pressure on them. So it's it's just really important to see. And, and that'll be crucial. when It'll be a great halves matchup on Friday night. Tommy Dearden and Chad Townsend up against Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown. And I think that we probably have the, the better um, better combo there and, and a, a halves pairing that have worked brilliantly over the last month together. Oh, look, I suppose if you're talking about uh, pure attack and excitement, um, uh, being able to br- uh, bust the line on their own, the Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses stand head and shoulders uh, above the Cowboys halves. To the Cowboys halves' credits, so they've been very good organisers for their team this year and, uh, and have led the team around. So uh, in one sense... They're different styles of halves, but I think we've got the edge. You mentioned pressure, and I want to come into into talking about pressure. Moving forward, now that the Eels have got past the second week of the finals, do you think there's going to be less pressure on our team without having that second week uh, dropout monkey on our back? Without a doubt. I think um, John said it earlier in the week on one of the podcasts that we've got the King Kong-sized gorilla off our back. (laughs) And it's true. You know, it's been there for a number of years now. And I think the shackles are off because the pressure for Parramatta and I guess the expectation was that they would make a preliminary final this year. That's what everyone said coming into the year. As a fan, that's sort of what I wanted out of this year, at least, at the very least, to make a prelim. And there was pressure on the playing group to do that considering the build-up they had before that game, um, you know, with all the, the outside noise, they did really, really well to put that to one side and really let their football do the talking. And I think that'll be the case even more this Friday, that they're just going to, you know, break the shackles off and really focus on putting in a, an amazing 80-minute performance to make it into a grand final. And, yeah, I, without a doubt, pressure is a, is, a, is a thing. But I feel that our side have now proven that, They've been able to deal with that pressure really well throughout the year. We haven't lost back-to-back games. After every loss, we have bounced back to win a match, and that's really important. But also after there's been pressure and outside noise in the headlines, in the media, building into a game, we've always come out the other side and put in a great performance. So regardless of what negative headlines there have been this week, I think our side are just really focused on getting the job done, and that pressure's now sort of been, been relieved a little bit. 
Now, the, the bench has been something that's uh, come under the microscope quite a bit during the season. We've talked it, uh, about it a number of times throughout the year on the podcast. Uh, uh, BA had said that there was, in including Jake Arthur, there wasn't necessarily a guarantee that he would come onto the field at any stage. He, he was literally there as cover if needed for the spine. Now, interestingly enough, the last two matches, he's been required to come on for Mitch Moses. So it's been quite handy mm. half back there. But the interesting change this week is that Makahesi Makatoa has made way for Bryce Cartwright. What's your take on that, mate? It's fascinating. It's an interesting one. My observation just firstly on Makahisi Makatoa, great player. He's towards, you'd probably say, the back end of his career. I mean, he's in his late 20s. And you could just see on the weekend, after he came off for his little stint against the Raiders, he was huffed and puffed. And I just think that he lacks the polish of a, a first-grade forward, just generally. Um, and yes, he's another big body that we can bring onto the field. But I just feel like in big matches, he hasn't had a lot of experience. His fitness levels are clearly a little bit below where the other um, big boppers in our team have their fitness levels at. Your Junior Paolo and Regan Campbell-Gillards. Um, bringing Bryce Cartwright in, an interesting move. He hasn't played any football at the top level in about a month. But he's versatile. He can come on and cover any position. Don't forget Tom Opacek carrying possibly that hamstring injury. Brad Arthur did reveal on 100% footy last night that it's not looking very good for Tom. So he may not even be there uh, come Friday night. Maybe he's thinking of bringing Cartwright possibly into the centres. I know he hasn't played a lot of football in the centres, but he's a, a utility. He can play pretty much anywhere on the field. And um, it's, it's an interesting selection. I probably would have liked also to see a, another big body on the bench. Two is probably a bit light on because up in the heat, Reg and Junior having to play big minutes, it's a big ask. So having someone like Nathan Brown um, on the bench instead of a Makahisi Makatoa would have probably been a, a good decision. But in saying that, Nathan Brown hasn't played much footy in the last little while either with <laughs> with injury. So, look, it's an interesting one. But I think um, in the end, it's probably the right decision. Um, I reckon Bryce will definitely get minutes and Jake's there solely uh, to come, come into the halves if there is an injury and if that's required. Maybe at hooker. I know Jake's played a bit of hooker yeah, as well, that, so he can slot that, in there. That is an important thing to mention, Spiro, is that emergency cover at dummy half, given that that was literally what bit us in the backside last year was just a, a lack of options there at number nine. So I'm not I'm not saying he'd be playing at a representative level or anything like that, but if something does happen to Reed, he can get in there and distribute the ball to the halves. Yeah, that's basically and, and, yeah. as we saw with, um, you know, uh, Ray Stone was, was doing a job that, essentially wasn't expected of him uh, in, in slotting into dummy half in the back end of last year when we lost all three. And I repeat, all three dummy halves at, at the end of the season. Uh, and, and we can well remember the, the final pass of the, uh, of the year, which um, unfortunately went to, uh, went to ground. Um, so I guess you, really what you're after is someone in there who can throw a good pass out of dummy half and any halfback's going to be able to slip in there and, and do that sort of job. So that's that's really where Jake uh, fills the bill. But I'm wondering whether either of you um, can validate what's lurking in my memory is that in the game against the Broncos up in Darwin last year, that 
Parramatta, well, both teams were starting to look quite fatigued very early on in the game. And out of the blue, BA introduced both Will Smith and Bryce Cartwright into into action. And it was and it was maybe, I think from memory, it was maybe only about 20 minutes into the game, but it immediately sparked the Eels uh, to where they uh, kicked away from the Broncos. Uh, I thought it was a match-turning replacement. And that stuck in my head about, uh, you know, maybe Bryce is a good option in the heat of, uh, of northern uh, Australia. He's played up on the Gold Coast for a number of years, guys, if you cast your mind back. He did play some football, not many matches, but spent a lot of time up that way, uh, up that part of Australia. So it comes in handy. As you mentioned, he was, you know, a huge addition for us in that game against the Broncos in Darwin last year. And even in this year's game, I believe he was there when we played the Cowboys in Darwin off the bench and, and added a little bit there as well. So he, he's good. He's a quality player. I'm probably a little bit disappointed that we haven't seen a lot of Bryce this year, he played in that Dragons game, a, a brilliant performance, a lovely flick pass. And I feel that whenever he's actually played NRL level, he has played very well. Um, so I'm glad to see him back in the fold. And definitely that would have been something that would have been floated in BA's mind that, yep, uh, Bryce, he plays well under the tougher conditions when the heat's there. So he, he's an asset when it comes to that. And while I think of it as well, Speaking about Tom Opacek, I mentioned him earlier that he's looking in doubt for um, for Friday night's match. If he's a scratching, what I'd really like to see is Murata Niakore come into the centres because he played brilliantly there on Friday night and he has a great record playing in that part of the field. So I'd bring Murata up into the centres uh, and I would actually bring Nathan Brown onto the bench. I'm not sure if BA will keep him in the 19 when he makes that cut 24 hours out from kickoff on Thursday night. I'm not sure because currently Nathan Brown's number 20. But if I was BA, I'd probably be having Nathan Brown on standby, ready to go, because then you've got another forward on the bench. You've got Kafusi um, and uh, Nathan Brown, plus you've got Nukore in the centre, who's really another forward on the field. So that's what I'd like to see. But Cartwright's going to be a handy little addition on the bench on Friday night. I think knowing BA's history... His philosophy is gen- uh, generally that he doesn't like to impact one position by taking a player away from a role to fill a role in another position. So I think the likelihood of Murata being moved from the role that he's played starting the game, so he and Ryan Madison have that swap where Maddo's named to start and Murata's named off the bench and then it swaps around. So Murata becomes one of those um, middle players who create the impetus and the impact at the start of the game. And I got a feeling he will keep him in that sort of role and he'll look for someone else to bring in in the back line. I, I think uh, it, it's unlikely to see him make a double change for the one player going out. That's just my thoughts on that as well. Just based on BA's history there and his philosophy around his um, his team selections, uh, it's uh, it, it's it's the sort of thing where he's had. Gr- I agree with you. Murata's had great success, and in fact, uh, I was thinking that at the start of the week, likely to move Murata out to centres if uh, Opachik's out. And then Forty and I were talking and we just said, you know what, you, it's probably impossible for BA to want to move 
Murata. It's not in his. There, there's something. In, there's something special cooking between he, the two starting bookends in Junior and Reg, and Madison right now. Even that Penrith game where we had so many errors that handicapped ourselves. The forwards in the middle did their job against the best. You know, arguably the best pack in the competition. So, I, I yeah, I just think it's that old adage: don't weaken a strength to strengthen a weakness. Uh, keep Murata. There you in the go. Middle. Forty's come. Forty's come up with the with the saying that we think is BA's philosophy. What was it again, 40? Don't weaken a strength, the strength and a weakness. So, we you know, keep, <laughs> and, and the other side of that, the, the, the ever applicable sports adage of keep it simple, whether you want to say silly or stupid at the end, but the KISS <laughs> principle, just put Simonson into the centres or, you know, uh, anyone else that you feel was like, capable of doing the job in the centres, just make the one change and, you know, play to your strengths, dominate through the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think especially too, given that he's made the other change with bringing Bryce Cartwright onto the bench, I think that would just about take him out with changes, you know, like Unless once double, he gets beyond change. that, he doesn't, yeah. you know, like he's, we know he's loath to make changes. We've, we've talked before about whether BA's um, loyalty to players is a strength or a weakness. And I guess if we think about it, we were talking not so long ago about, some players that was that were badly out of form, and uh, would we need to be looking beyond them? Um, Reed Marnie comes to mind. Now I don't know what you think, um, Spiro, but I reckon Reed has turned in some of his best performances in mm-hmm. in recent weeks, and is so much better than what we were seeing for a large part of the season. Very much so, especially in that Panthers game, yep. uh, week one of the finals. Despite it being a loss. I still felt like Reed was probably one of the better players yeah, just generally that, that turned out that night. Um, You're spot on. You're spot on, mate. He was the mm. he was the best spine player out there. So when you think the form coming into that game of Moses, Brown, and Gutherson, and they couldn't do anything, but Reed was arguably if he wasn't best on field, he was certainly best in the spine and he was he was he features in the discussions of Parramatta's best. Uh, in that game. It's quite interesting you say that as well, guys. I agree. Don't get me wrong. 38 tackles, you know, really solid effort. But it's funny sometimes how stats don't actually, um, you know, convey how great a player has been or or the contribution that they've made to a team. Because Reid Marnie only had five run meters and two runs on Friday night, um, which is, you know, quite, quite odd when you look at it. I mean, he ran for five meters and you know equal lowest run meters in the team, um, which is for a hooker, you know, someone that you expect to maybe dart out a dummy half and make meters. But Reed's contribution goes beyond that, mm-hmm. and just his spirit and you know he, his slick passing game as well has made a huge difference. And you can just see, you know, having that polish there and having a full strength side and your hooker is is super important. You know, 128 passes, 128 receipts. That's that's massive. That's huge. And, you know, 38 tackles, um, you know, the tackle efficiency at about 91%. It's it's massive. He's a massive contributor. And we're going to miss him. Um, you know, I think the last few weeks have shown that we will miss him. However, Josh Hodgson, I'm sure, will add some value to our team as well for next year. What we have seen, I believe, with Reed, is a return to quality service. Right? What, and, and this is where we've talked about with players doing what they do best. We know when Dylan Brown runs, he's doing what he does best. We know that when Clint Gutherson 
gets in around supporting the the forwards, gets in around the the ruck. Is, is looking to, he's lurking around there, looking for opportunities. He's ducking into dummy half. He's taking darts out of there and 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 taking the taking the runs that people might say, well, Reed Marnie should be taking. But you know what? Gutho's far more effective at those sort of runs out of dummy half. And when he's jumping in there, he's jumping in there at a time where he's noticed the, the defence backpedalling or not being in position. So that's him playing his best footy and likewise, Reed Marnie, he plays his be- best footy when his passes are like inch perfect, when they're landing just out in front of the hands of the of the receiver, so the the team is constantly going forward. They're the, the and those some of those wide passes with, that that hit the players like bullets. That's when he's playing his best football, and when those short passes aren't like bullets that the players you know drop down drop. Uh, you, we've seen the passes around the rucks. Now, in the last couple of weeks, the the pass that he put on for Oregon's try against the Panthers, that was an example of subtlety rather than a hospital pass. And that's that's the big difference, I think, in in Reed's play. But, mate, here's something that you would have in common with so many Eels supporters is the Eels, for the first time, seeing the Eels for the first time since 2009 get to a preliminary final. Now you're a young bloke, your your length of time and memory supporting the club. Um that's not too often in your in your history of supporting the Eels that you've seen the Eels in a grand final qualify. What what does that mean for you as a supporter? It you know it means a lot. Um it's been great hearing the stories this week in the Vox Pop podcast from some of the Parramatta faithful and I guess putting my fans hat on for a minute, I've been a diehard supporter of this club since 2009. It was that year, that amazing run and that, that grand final that really helped me or, or made me a Parramatta fan. And I well, you're only a young that. lad. You're only a young lad. I was six years old. I was there you six go. Yep. at the time. Yep. You know, to think that, you know, all, that, all those years have passed, pretty much my whole schooling has passed 13 years and we have not been in a prelim. I mean, it's a huge achievement. And I think we all need to... Step back as fans this week, regardless of what happens on Friday night, regardless, right? I know we all want to win it and progress to the GF and win it. But when you think about it, this is a huge step forward for our club. And it's a very special playing group that have achieved great things. And, and that you know, we made the top four. We ticked that off the list. We've now gone past week two of the finals into a prelim. And there's a lot of meaning for a lot of fans. You know, I'm an example, but there are many fans walking from the ground after Friday's game. You saw young kids. You saw... You know, parents, mums and dads that were just happy. You know, they were just happy as fans and and content with the result and, and really satisfied. And it's it's really exciting. I, I remember watching the 09 Grand Final on uh, on a big screen at Sapporo Japanese restaurant in Crow's Nest. I was with my dad and my brother and, and just tuning into that. And I'll never forget that game, you know. And I was only a young fella, as you mentioned, six years old, had never really taken a big interest in the club before that year. That was the turning point. You know, that that prelim, that game, that win, and then the GF, that made me a Parramatta fan. So to see them back in this this situation, it's quite quite significant. And and it's that sense of satisfaction and all those years of you know, the, the commitment, watching them win wooden spoons and come last and have terrible results to now be where we are. It, it's we're, we sort of come full circle. 
and it, it is really, really special. And, and I'm, I'm so happy that the, the guys were able to win on Friday night and they're deserving of it. When you think about it, this squad, so many of these guys para through and through. Mitchell Moses, the last time we were in a prelim, he was actually a para fan in the stands watching the game, you know? So yep. it, it's, uh, it's very significant for a lot of people. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm stoked and really looking forward to Friday night. And what must be interesting for you is that as a fan for all those years, the when the Eels were having their, their problems and their issues, uh, there was the media focus and well-founded media focus that was on the club. Um, the Eels are, are having uh, a, a resurgence of our uh, of of our football achievements in more recent years. But, of course, there's still the media focus on there. So you've looked at the media focus as a supporter and mm. you're now part of the media. I'm really interested in your, in, in your takes on just how Parramatta moves the needle out there and, and, and what it means for the media to, to have Parramatta in the news. You know, there's no doubt about the fact that Parramatta sells papers. Parramatta puts bums on seats. You know, people listen to radio. People listen to TV because they want to hear about Parramatta. They're a huge brand, arguably the biggest brand in the NRL. They've got a huge follower follower base. And, you know, I've now experienced both sides of it. From a fan's point of view, I have, you know, memories of 2016 with the salary cap scandal, watching the demise of the club going to class and, you know, uh, opening up my computer, just checking, you know, the newspaper sites and seeing all the awful headlines about Parramatta and copying the criticism and, and feeling the heat. And there's obviously an interest in the club. Nothing's going to change that. We, we all just accept the fact that that's just how it is and, and there's a bit of a target on our backs um, off the back of a number of years of poor results, um, you know, 36-year premiership drought, salary cap issues and whatnot. But... It does frustrate me now still. You know, it used to frustrate me as a kid. I used to be upset, used to come home and, you know, vent my frustrations to my dad and say, you know, why? Why is Parramatta in the spotlight? Why does everyone want to write bad headlines and negative headlines about Parramatta? Why? You know, it was a question as a kid going through the ranks in, you know, year eight, year nine at school and really getting into my footy, that feeling. Um, And it frustrated me then and it actually frustrates me now as well and it can be, really disappointing and disheartening at times to see some of the false rumours which were spread and misinformation within the media. Um, we, you know, we've seen over the last week a number of headlines being peddled by several journalists, uh, you know, Brad Arthur referring to a number of people that have an agenda against the club. And, you know, for starters, you know, that internal review that was leaked, I mean, it frustrates me that people in the media come out and say, and, and try and put the heat on Brad Arthur or, or when it comes to nepotism or the first grade side, uh, they've got to step back for a minute and, and look at it and say, well, this review, this internal review actually has nothing to do with first grade. It is purely a junior club analysis conducted by Nathan Brown into our pathway system. And that has nothing to do with the first grade guys, but for some reason, the media like to have a stab at Parramatta and put this pressure and put this heat on them and say, it has something to do with the first graders. Um, you know, it, it does irk me. The, the other headline being peddled this week by a few journalists, which is infuriating, is that if Parramatta lose uh, on Friday night in Townsville against the Cowboys, then it's a failure of a season. Now, I'm critical. I'm critical as a, as a fan 
Um, I have high expectations of this club, but also realistic expectations as well. And the truth of the matter is, regardless of what happens on Friday night, this has been a successful season. We've made a preliminary final, first time in 13 years. It's a massive achievement for this club. You know, we've beaten Melbourne, we've beaten Penrith in the same year, but we've beaten both of them in regular season twice. I mean, it's been a massive season. And if we make the grand final or not, if we win the grand final or not, as a fan, I'm actually going to be quite happy with what I've seen, you know, in comparison to season gone past. And the fact that these journals are peddling these headlines, it's ridiculous. It's it's disgusting and it's not fair on the club at all because we have achieved, we have had a successful year and a lot of fans like me are going to be happy with a preliminary final. Um, so it is, you know, it is an interesting question that you put to me, 60s, and, the, the, you know, the reality is that even being involved in the media now, it's obvious to me that there is an agenda against Parramatta. A lot of people like writing negative headlines to try and throw the club under the bus and try and, uh, you know, put pressure on them and, and tarnish their chances, you know, because for their sake, for, for journos, they want the drought to continue. Don't you worry because they love writing negative headlines about Parramatta because it sells papers. It gets bums on seats. And they just want to keep doing that. So they want the drought to continue. And the more negative headlines about Parramatta they can write, the better. But I feel that this playing group actually put that to one side. They, they block all that out. And they use that as a little bit of motivation. They know that something's going on. They don't know the ins and outs of the crap that's being peddled in the media. But they know that there is controversy there. There are things being discussed. There are rumors, a lot of false rumors being spread. And I think that players use that as, as a bit of a, a fuel to the fire to, to pump them up and, and really encourage them to prove the doubters and the haters wrong and win football matches. And they did that on Friday night. What we saw was a team, uh, a team effort. There's, there's no falling out. There's no division within this club because a, a team with division in their club does not put in a performance like we did on Friday night. And a team with division doesn't beat the Panthers and doesn't beat the Storm twice in a season. We have a, a quality playing group. Yes, there may be a few exceptions to the rule, their own personal view. But at the end of the day, 99% of the players in that team get on. They get on well on the field. They get on well off the field. And it's led to our success this year. So it's um it, it's an interesting topic. And I, I hope that I've added some sort of perspective. Mate, it's just... And a bit of an insight. Yeah, no, it, it 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 is always interesting to get to get the insights like that. As I said, because you're you're there involved in the media, and and I like what you said too about the uh, the players using that as a motivation. Because it, it could be easy to say, oh, the players just need to ignore all the talk, the media talk and what have you, and just get on with football. But the thing is, at the at the the media calls where the players are put up for the uh, the journo's, they put the questions to them. What's all this about player division? What's what's all this about your thoughts on the nepotism within the club? Blah 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 blah. blah. So it's the 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 players know, and, and and don't get me wrong, like the players before they're going for for these these interviews, they know what's coming. Mm. They're, they're they're not going to be they're not there without any knowledge of what what's what's been said there. It's it's was thrown to BA in the post match press conference. So any of the players that are, well, for a start, Gutho's there beside him and it's already been thrown to the players last week. It's been thrown to them this week. There is no switching off and saying that um, this, you know, they're not not to pay attention to what's being said. So if they know what's being said, 
again, their focus is now saying, well, you know what? We know that it's absolute garbage and we'll just yeah. show you. And, that, and that's the thing. If it was, if there was an issue there and it was being highlighted and they knew, well, geez, everyone knows about it. You can imagine what their mindset would be, right? If it actually, if there was that level of division that they're talking about within the playing group. So it, they, as you said, they wouldn't be able to perform like that. And the, and the fact is the media pressure that would be there uh, wouldn't help if the club, like they wouldn't be able to turn around and say it's us against them if there was that division there because they know, well, hang on, no, it isn't us against them because I don't like this bloke and he doesn't like him and, you know, and the and the coach is only picking players that he wants and blah, 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 blah. Like if that mm. actually existed, you couldn't get an us against them mentality about it. But when the team is united and they get on and they all – have that desire to to bring home the title, then you're going to get the sort of performances that that we saw last week, and that hopefully we see again on Friday night. And I mean, regardless of who wins, I'm I'm like you, Spiro. I look at this game and I go, "This is an achievement this year." Am I? Will I be satisfied if they bow out at this stage? No, because every ill supporter believes that this is the best chance of at least getting to the grand final in, in recent times. It is the team has hit form at the right time of the year. The team is relatively healthy and they're in a good mind space. So, yeah, to that end, this is a year that they should have the best chance of getting to the grand final. So if they don't make it, yeah, it'll be disappointing. But if it's just... If it's disappointing, does that mean that they haven't been had had some level of success this year, or does it mean it's a failure year? There is no way mm. that it's a failure year. And for those who still want to go with the narrative, which was out there last week, you know, the I can't, I couldn't believe. Well, yes, I could believe it was it wasn't <laughs> unexpected. I don't know why I'm saying I couldn't believe. Bad but for the, for the pre for the pre match narrative to be if Parramatta lose tonight, is BA's job in danger? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? For a start, the bloke's got two years left on his contract. Second, they've just finished in the top four. And okay, they, you know, if they if they were to lose here, that'd be disappointing. But the club recognized that stability has been the secret to them remaining in the finals. And whenever you're in finals football, you're in a window. And maybe you're not the best team in the finals fo- in finals football, but you know what? It's not every year that the best team ends up winning the competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we, mm. we go we there's there's been plenty of examples of, of that in the past, and perhaps one of the most memorable was the Tigers winning in two thousand and five, and they played the Cowboys in the grand final. Yeah, when they, were, the, they were not the two best teams no, in the competition exactly. through the year. The entire year was St. George and <laughs> Parramatta, and then the grand, yeah. the grand final qualifiers happened. Uh, and that, you know, through the entire final series into disarray, there's a, a few moving pieces here, boys, in play, and you, you've like in broad, sp- in broad scope, broad bro- stroke, sort of covered them. But my, in so few words, reaction was that it is fascinating how quickly the goalposts move. You know, coming into this season, mm. the, the entire focus was Brad Arthur has done well with Parramatta, but he has to get them past week two of the finals. That, like that was it. Like. He has to get past week till the finals. Fast forward to the last seven days, we absolutely smash through that barrier and instantly, like in the blink of an eye, now the the, the headlines are it's grand final bust. Like and it just instantly. It's like, okay, 
you know, fair enough. Like you said, Sixties, you qualified it pretty well, talking about how if we lose this week, obviously fans are going to be disappointed and justifiably so because getting to the final four means that you've got a, a shot. Uh, but the reality is when only one team can take it out and there are a couple of really good teams uh, in any given year, but particularly in the modern game now, we've, we've seen the rise of the Roosters, the Storm, the Panthers, you know, teams that are almost inarguably super teams at their absolute zeniths. You know, it, it becomes that much harder to win the premiership. The other thing that really jumped out at me, and this is less attack on the media, more a commentary on society, uh, negativity we just sells. You know, the most well-researched, well-written positive piece about you know some of the incredible stuff that happens not just in rugby league but in any given code uh, will often draw much less of a response in terms of any metrics impressions all the you know fancy buzzwords I like to use these days than uh, a shortly written up negative piece because that's what drives conversation people like to complain they like to complain about people yeah you're right you know and it it, it frustrates me as well um, uh, John you know watching just some of the various programs uh, this week building up to the game, the amount of negativity, you know, towards Parramatta, you know, that not everyone's going to be positive, but be a little bit, uh, you know, look at it through a little bit of a positive lens. You know, don't be so negative towards the Eels and the club. And on all the programs, there's always been someone on, on a panel that has said, oh, you know, been negative or haven't really praised Parramatta for what they've achieved. And they deserve praise. I understand and I, I agree that it would be a real shame if we didn't at least make the grand final because I think, we are um, amongst the top, we, you know, us and Penrith are the two best teams in the competition. They ha- probably have been all year and deserve to be there. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we cop it on the chin and we, we accept what we've seen this year. Now, just two other quick things. I like what, I, what I've heard from BA in that post-match presser. You know, for the first time in a long time, um, you know, BA sort of went on the defense, went on the defensive a little bit, which I liked, which is what you want to see from a head coach. You want to see a little bit of heart, a little bit of fight, you know, from him. And the same from Gutho. I mean, he spoke very, very well at the media conference earlier this week, saying that we know that, you know, all these negative headlines are there. We know that there's a lot of interest in Parramatta and we just accept that and they've learned to live with it. And very mature approach from all the all the players, the way that they've handled this, absolutely perfect. Before we delve into the, the preview of this Friday's game and, and a few other stories floating around the NR, in the NRL, I'd just like to share an insight um, into the 2005 season, the, the final two weeks of the 2005 NRL season. You mentioned there that the Cowboys played the Tigers in the grand final. Um, you know, you go back one week to the preliminary final, a lot of, a lot of our fans would have memories of that. I, I don't quite remember it. I was at that game where we played the Cowboys in the – the grand final qualifier, but I was only three. I, you know, I don't remember it. Um, I was speaking to Mark Piggy Riddell a couple of weeks ago before the Penrith game. We were chatting finals footy and chatting about his time at Parramatta. And it was very interesting what he said. He said before the night before Parramatta played the Cowboys in that prelim, uh, him and all the team were watching the, the Tigers game. And as soon as they saw the Tigers qualify for the grand final, they got a bit cocky. They, they got a little bit excited and said, geez, we can win this. We can win this premiership. It's ours for the taking. And they sort of were thinking one game ahead. They weren't thinking about that challenge against the Cowboys. And when it came to that game, a few key moments, based on what Piggy said and based on what I've watched in highlights, a couple of key moments really um, you know, determined the outcome of that game. And Parramatta were on the back foot right from the start. And the Cowboys really capitalized and went on with the job. Um so it's interesting. It's interesting an insight 
you talk about teams making the grand final, you talk about teams and the way they think and their preparation. It's really important that Parramatta and all the other teams that are playing this weekend don't get one game ahead. They just got to focus on this week. And I think BA um, on an interview on 2GB this morning, you know, painted that picture really, really well. He said, you know, our goal and our focus is captain's run today. And that's all that we're focused on at this moment, you know, mm-hmm. not getting too far ahead of ourselves. So having those mini goals and ticking them off is a really important thing. And I feel like this playing group and this coaching group are doing that compared to maybe what we've done in the past where we've got a little bit horny, um, you know, heading into that prelim, get a bit excited, look look one game ahead to a grand final and then fall over at the, the stumbling block. So just an insight, just, you know, while we're talking about 05, I just wanted to chuck that one in there because it's an interesting uh, angle and point of view to sort of look at look at it from a, a footy player's perspective and, and what Piggy shared with me that they got a bit overconfident, a bit overexcited. So it's just important we take one week at a time and we go from there. And, and you know what? Here's, here's another observation on that. We are then better placed playing the first of the grand final qualifiers on the Friday night yeah. so that our focus isn't on who the team uh, who the other team was that yeah, won through to we, the grand final. Because once once that happens, and even if you don't try and actively do it, the hypothetical starts sitting in the back of your mind, doesn't it? Like, yeah. you mm. know, we we can beat Penrith or, man, we have that tough matchup against South Sydney. Like, whichever way you go, you start thinking about how that's going to play out when your focus needs to be entirely on the 80 or 80-plus minutes, depending if extra time's required, uh, of foot, minutes of football ahead of you right now. Yeah, if you don't... I have, really like it, yeah. yeah. I like the it, fact that we're playing the first prelim. Yeah, I, I I do too. I think it's I think it then uh, comes down to uh, the head game for either South or Penrith when they see who who qualifies through out of out of Parramatta and the Cowboys. They as as John said, you, you can't help but think this is who's waiting for us. If we win, this is who's waiting for us. it. Just it just will be there in the head, and um, with not having a defined opponent, the Eels can't think two weeks ahead. Their focus can only be on who's here now because they don't know who they're playing two weeks ahead. Now, just moving on from all this, Spiro, you mentioned there is some other news floating around and and we've had um, uh, Sloan requesting a, a release from the Dragons. It, look, this is an interesting one, guys, but I don't blame him because I just feel like he hasn't been given an opportunity at the club to really shine and show what he's made of. I think he's a great young talent. And he only played a handful of games this year. When I looked at his stat sheet, uh, you know, I, I only think he played maybe a, a couple of games, which was disappointing because for a young guy like that with a lot of potential, he's only young. He's um, He was born in 2002. So he's he's 20 years old, got a lot of potential. Um, and this year he played eight matches. Um, and a number of those were off the bench. I think he only started in about six matches. Um, and in uh, three of the matches that he actually started, the Dragons won. Um, which is pretty bizarre, but it's clear that he hasn't been given an opportunity to shine, to show what he's made of as a footballer, and he needs to explore his options and go elsewhere where he's going to get minutes. And I think the Dolphins would be a great club for him to go to. Um, some experienced guys heading up there uh, to start next year. You've got, you know, especially in the forwards, you have Bromiches and Kafusis who add a lot of experience. But in the halves, uh, Anthony Milford and, and Cody Nicarima, um, so I think he slots in nicely there and gets plenty of game time and maybe that's what's best for his career. So good on him. I mean, you know, the Dragons clearly have not given him enough of an opportunity and it's now time to to broaden the horizons a little bit and, and head up north possibly to the Dolphins. 
you know, it's a double-edged sword with young players these days because if I go back decades upon decades with players, uh, and I always used, like to use Max Krillich as the prime example of this, he, I believe, held the, the record um, for the most number of reserve grade games for Manly, or he was, at least he was well up there. So he had to bide his time in reserve grade uh, behind uh, the representative hooker Fred Jones, who himself was a Manly legend. So I believe that Max was probably something like 25, certainly in his mid-20s by the time he was a regular first grade player for Manly. And of course, he then went on to be an Australian captain. Not just the Manly captain, but Australian captain, a premiership winner, and one of the greats of that club. Now, if he was around in this day and age, there is no way that a man that possessed his talent would be staying within his club without him, you know, getting a run, uh, you know, a regular run in first grade because he would have better opportunities elsewhere and the money would be elsewhere. Of course, the money wasn't around in the game back then and a, a lot of players would come through their club system and be loyal to the club. But I said it's a t- double-edged sword these days because mm-hmm. you have clubs that if a player hasn't made it by the age of 20 or 21, they dump them. they're ready to throw them on the scrap mm-hmm. heap. Yep. And, and likewise, the players recognise that and they recognise that if they haven't made significant inroads by the time they're about 21 years of age, that scrap heap could be them. And if they're if if staying at their their current club means that they are headed for oblivion as as far as football is concerned, or that other clubs are going to forget about what talent they have, uh, they they know they have to to get out as soon as they can. And you can't blame players for doing that when you've got the club, um, you know, being prepared to throw them on the scrap heap. And you know, but likewise. I long for those days of, of of loyalty and players being, you know, great club people. It's never going to happen again because of the money in the game um, and the opportunities that players need and must take yeah. in a limited and career. I'm not but, sure if you'd, you'd build it as a, a direct extension or a tangential sort of spin-off of the overarching power struggle now that is between clubs and players when it comes to the value of contracts. You know, we're obviously, as Parramatta fans, we're heavily invested in the Isaiah Papali'i saga with the West Tigers. Uh, and, you know, whether he can get out of that contract, whether he has merits to get out of that contract, the Tigers sacking the coach that he'd signed for without a clause being written into his contract and so on and so forth. But, yeah, the Sloan saga really feels like it, it sort of flows on from that. You, you said it well, Sixies. There's, it's hard to paint a villain here because... You know, the reality is that clubs are ruthless. They want to get these young guns signed up for as long as they can, for as cheap as they can, and have them in the team performing. But if they're not able to perform at the level that the club is holding them to, they're going to move on from them or from them in the reserve grade or, you know, just keep them until an injury comes around. And on the flip side, you have a guy like Sloan who, while he isn't the most polished prospect right now, you know, knows that the longer he takes to get back into first grade, the reality is that his NRL career won't get off the ground. So he's going to be pushing to get to the Dolphins or get to whoever is the, the best client for him to give him the best shot at playing first grade. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying – I'm not sticking on one side of the fence either way here because this is a nuanced topic where both parties have, you know, merits their sides in a results-driven business. Yeah. You know, and- I, I agree. I agree. But um, 
just one interesting perspective to look at here, right? We talk about the value of contracts being basically debunked or the you know void in this day and age, which is true. However, there's a difference between players asking for a release just for the sake of a release, but there's a difference between players asking for a release with a suitable reason. Now, it's clear here that Tyrell Sloan has a reason behind this. He's clearly not getting enough game time and he's not get, getting enough of an opportunity at first grade. He wants to progress his career and he doesn't want his career to be burnt out by the age of 21. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a reason here. So it's, it's justified. And I feel like we've got to really work out you know, where's that balance from a moral point of view, but also from a practical point of view that, you know, where, where's a fine line? Where's it fair for a player to ask for a release? Where's it not fair for a player to ask for a release in this situation? I think it's fair. I think it's warranted. I think it's justified. Um, so, you know, good on him. He deserves to go. I know the dragons have come out and said, there's no way we're going to release him from his contract. That's fine. Um, but you know, I actually side with Tyrell Sloan in this situation here. I, I, when I hear things like this, I suspect that there is a communication breakdown where if um, there hasn't been the communication to Sloan about where the club sees him. You know, if if the club had great plans for him still, you would think that someone sat him down and said, look, I understand that you it's been disappointing in terms of your opportunities this year, but don't worry. We value you. We we want you as part of the club. You are in our plans um, and, and all things, you know, moving forward, you will be given every opportunity to play first grade because we view you as a valuable first grade player. And you think, you know what, if that, if that sort of communication goes through, the player is probably unlikely to be looking to move, regardless of what the what the years had in store. It just needs that communication and a bit of love and 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 respect for the player, I think. And and I reckon half the time when you're looking at, at problems within clubs like that, um, the communication's the key. And speaking of communication, it seems like uh, the the lack of communication may well have been part of the problem between uh, Walters an icon where maybe they'd they'd never at any stage clearly defined um, roles there. That's an interesting one as well. It's a it's a headline's been around, and there's been a lot of talk and discussion around it this week. My take on it all is that I actually felt that since Ben Icon has gone up to the Broncos, there's been a rapid change in the culture. There's been a rapid change in the results that we've seen on the field, and. I understand that, you know, the Broncos should have made the eight. They had a, a really poor back end of the season to just miss out. However, they have had a very successful year. They've improved drastically. They've recruited really well. And I think they're just going to go to the next level next year and be even better. It takes a number of years to break out of that cycle. And I think the Broncos started that this year and they'll continue that in season 2023. In terms of Ben Eichen, he's a very smart uh, operator. He knows what he's doing great footballer and you know he, he's an important part of the puzzle up there at the Broncos and I, I sort of disagree I mean you know speaking about a rift here between Kevy and, and Ben Ike and they're good mates at the end of the day and in all good organizations and good clubs there's a little bit of pushback or you know it takes a bit of time to for people to find their feet and really know their role 
And these only Ben Arkin's only been in the job for about eighteen months. It takes time, and I don't actually you know blame him if there's a bit of crossover. It'll sort itself out, and he's an asset to the club. And they they've got to be careful here that they don't lose him because he's a, he's a critical part of their football department. And I'm sure that he's had a huge role to play behind the scenes in getting this club to where they are. So a lot of people knives are out, you know, fingers are pointed at the Broncos. They've had a great year. They're looking for for ways to to knock them down and to to criticize them and call them out. But in my humble opinion, you know, his job's safe. Um, you know, he's not a lackey, as as Gordon Tallis said. I just feel like he's still finding his feet, and the journos are looking at any way that they can come out. And, and pinpoint a part of the Broncos' setup, which has cost them a finals berth in season 2022. And you know what? I, I like what you've said there too about um, the the journey being a long one. Now, we know that the Broncos have got talented players there. Like, they've got players that other clubs would love to be able to get hold of. And perhaps in not making finals football, they've underachieved. However, I'm going to make a comparison here with Parramatta. Because in BA's first year in 2014, Parramatta was on track to make the finals in his first year looking after the club. Jared Hayne was uh, getting the Dally M Player of the Year or a co-winner of the Dally M Player of the Year. And two weeks out, things were looking good. Parramatta lost the last two rounds to Newcastle and Canberra, if I remember correctly, who were both Mm -hmm. below them on the ladder. And yep. and it was, uh, look, apart from Jared Hayne, I wouldn't say that the Eels had the greatest roster in the world that year. So they were probably overachieving. Um, and maybe the Broncos have got um, a little bit of a better, better roster and should have, uh, should have got through. However, your point about it being a long journey back is if you're in a cycle where you aren't used to um, having success, or getting through to finals football, or winning some of those tight games when it when it's crunch time, that becomes harder, and it, it became a, a a job that was too tough for the Eels back in two thousand and fourteen. And I think likewise for the Broncos when they started to have a couple of issues with players being out, and the pressure was on, and all of a sudden they were getting into a run of some losses and 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 form that wasn't there. It was too hard to get out of for them. And, uh, yeah, whilst they can say it was a missed opportunity, as you said, it doesn't really surprise because it's a hard road and a Mm. long road to climb up from down near the bottom. Uh, So many many habits to get out of. Mm. So, So much of a mindset to work away from. So, yeah, not a surprise. It's funny you say that reflect on season 2014 uh, 60s because I remember vividly the final regular season game of the year Parramatta played the Raiders at Parramatta we had to win that game to make the top eight and I remember listening to the game on a radio at my grandma's house I was on my own my parents had a function and I was there listening to the game and you know the devastation uh, after that result I was just beside myself you know that we came so close yet so far from making the top eight, it was, you know, bitterly disappointing. But you look at it, you know, I know it's, you know, eight years on and we're finally there and we're achieving success and, you know, we're in the mix. Um, so it's it's funny. This game of rugby league, it's funny. The Broncos will get there eventually. Parramatta went through the hurt. They climbed up that that huge mountain. They've, they're achieving what they are now. And 
and I'm sure the Broncos will be there soon as well. I mean, the Broncos, to their credit, at the very least, have done a better job than the likes of Newcastle, uh, the West Tigers, the Gold Coast, I suppose. They're in a much better position in terms of the talent on the roster to make that move forwards. And, you know, it remains to be seen whether Kevy's there, like the coach that can take him to the promised land consistently, but he seems to be a good man-manager for the most part. And Iken seems to be fairly astute, you know, going out and getting Capewell and Reynolds. You know, that, that is just... Even if it's simple, is good management decisions. So it could be a lot worse for Brisbane, I suppose. <laughs> it's probably the crux of it. <laughs> now, just no, be- I agree. Just before we get your tips on uh, the two finals matches, mate, the, the last thing we wanted to talk about was the RLPA announced their dream team and four Roosters players, I repeat, four Roosters players made the Rugby League Players Association dream team. It was literally the back line of the Roosters. Uh, The Panthers, in comparison, only had two players in the the dream team. So the question that I ask then is Mm. if the players believe that the Roosters have such a talented lineup, is that an example of the Roosters underachieving this season? Possibly, but I don't think it's a... It's a message or sends a message that the Panthers have, you know, haven't been as impressive um, this year either. But it, look, it's an interesting one. Picked by the players. How do they judge this? It's very subjective. I mean, do they judge it off uh, the whole year, including State of Origin games? I think there's a lot of recency do, do, bias. You know, what, yeah. yeah, what do they base it on? Who, who they're mates and, with? Who they yeah. want to see? And you know, um, uh, it's, it's a very it, – it's an interesting one. Um you know, you, you look at the Panthers. I mean, they don't they, they play very, very well as a team. And there might not be as many individuals that stand out. They're just a great team. I know that, you know, Cleary's probably, you know, deserves to be in there. Luai, possibly. Um, Brian To'o on the wing. You know, questionable. I mean, questionable that Daniel Tupo is, you know, dream team winger of the year, players RLPA. I mean, it's a bit of a joke, if you ask me. 60s. I think Brian To'o has been the winger of the year. But you know, by a long way. And how does and, how does Nathan yeah, Cleary? How does Nathan Cleary? Now I know Ben Hunt is a is a talented player, and he had such a big moment in Origin. But how mm. Nathan Cleary is not the halfback of the year? Well, it's, I suppose maybe I, he's the I, most hated halfback in the NRL, and no maybe. players like him. It, it, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? It, it comes back, I suppose, to something we've brought up on the podcast before in our interactions with players, both Parramatta and beyond, it is shocking how large of a subset there is amongst rugby league players, the elite players, that don't really follow games outside of who they're playing in a given week. Yeah. You know, so that, which means that if they're going to a player for the, who then picks, they're probably going to lean on whether it's media narrative, you know, whatever's on TV, you know, whatever the other teammates are saying is, you know, or oh, that guy was really good this year. So, the, yeah, it's just I think there is – there's a bubble in there, not a COVID bubble, but like in terms of, you know, knowledge of other teams, other players, sometimes there is a bubble when it comes to these sort of things. And that's that's why as much as you've got to respect player opinions, you also, you know, have a little asterisk there too because they're not always – even if they, they know good rugby league, they might not always be the best judges of their peers. Yeah, and I think um, – and, and this is an interesting thing, Spiro. I, as, as Forty pointed out, there are – plenty of players there and and people can probably pick up on it when uh, they talk about they don't necessarily watch rugby league away from their from their own games or or they they like to take a break from the game they're not they're not footy heads right so the only time that they might see a certain player 
might be that when they're when they're watching their uh, own um, video session for the match ahead, and probably I reckon there would be a good percentage of players out there if you ask them to name the players in the team that they would be facing in two weeks' time, like who's likely to be the the lineup for that team, they probably wouldn't know because they're 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 not the footy heads that often some supporters are. I mean, I, I value their judgments as to, um, you know, their, if you ask them for their takes on the players that they just played against and what they did that caused them problems and, and what their, what their relative merits and skills are as, as opposing, as opposing players. But yeah, in terms of their awareness of what's actually happening and who's on a streak of form or that sort of stuff, it may not be. There may be plenty and out there that of aren't aware course, of it. the reverse is true. There are absolute students of the game among the playing community oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. would be watching tape on every team they can, watching every you know mainstream playmaker, every mainstream weapon in opposition teams. But like I said, there, there is a, a large subset of players that live a very insular life when it comes to rugby league. They're just worried about what their weekly assignment is. You can almost bet that those players that you talked about, and and we know that someone like Billy Slater was 100%. a fiend yep. about that. Uh, Cooper Cronk yep. was a fiend about that. These they're the, probably the sort of players who either a have a goal ultimately, or will be best suited to being a coach in the future because they are you know they are real students of the game, or b that they maybe have designs to be in the media in the future mm. and 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 you know that that passion for the game and the passion for studying what happens in the game is is central to those sorts of roles and that's you know what the the ambition of those those particular players mm. might be but if you've got players that once their career's over they 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 don't have any interest in staying involved in rugby league you know that they they're not going to be a student of the game so um, yeah, no, I just thought it was interesting because I just couldn't believe that there was so many Roosters players named and yet so few Panthers and Storm yeah, and, I mean, and you other You look at the teams. split, two Panthers, one Cowboy, one Eel. Uh, you got a Dragon, you've got uh, a Raider, you got a, a Bunny. So, yeah, dominated by the Roosters. And, look, I will say this. In terms of Team of the Year lists, while there are a stack of content, like arguable choices there, is you know, by far from the worst that you're going to see. There's nothing too egregious when it comes to players overlooked. At the very least, even a guy like Tupo was good this year, right? It wasn't like he was just picked because he plays for the Roosters. He was at least okay. Uh, but in terms of Parramatta's representation, boys, uh, Isaiah Papali'i, the lone eel there, he gets into the back row of Jeremiah Nanai. The other eels that I believe were nominated, uh, or at least into the finals contention, uh, Sean Lane was one of the other back rowers eligible to be well, in the hunt. And I believe that Dylan Brown at 5'8 uh, ran second to Cam Munster. No junior, no Reg. I'm just trying to think, no Mitch Moses as well in the halfback uh, battle. So probably a, a few snubs there when it comes to uh, not necessarily winning the overall gong, but just being in the hunt for it there. But you know, given some of the players' name there, I think Tapanay was very good. Fisher-Harris, I mean, the suspension maybe took away from you know having as, uh, as much playing time as some of the other options there. But yeah, not a terrible team by any means. No, no and, and look... You're not going to uh, argue with Tedesco being in there. You're not going to argue with Joseph Manu being in there. And and it's possible that you're not going to argue with Suwali'i being named in there. My take is, geez, they've, they've got such a roster. I think they should have done a bit better than what yeah. they did. Yep. You know, so, but, uh, you but know, now... We, we talked about timing your run. I think the Roosters just went too early. They came into the yeah. finals on like a seven or eight game winning streak, right? 
And then mm. you know, they're, they're just, you're going to have to win, you know, 11, 12 games at that point to get to the grand final from outside the eight, uh, the top four. Yeah. And they yep. played their grand final against the Storm in yeah. what, round 24, I think. So, yeah, that yeah, was it. But yeah, they should have, in, in hindsight, to answer your question, your original question, 60s, they should have done better. They should have beat South. They should have, you know, probably they should be in the prelims. That that would have been a, a great result for them. But they finished outside the top four, and as we all know, very hard to to make any real waves uh, in the NRL if you finish outside of the top four. And you know what? I'm still going to be thankful for them beating the Storm because it opened the door for us to to get into the top four ahead of them in that yep. crucial final yep. round match. So you know what? Roosters love you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, finally, mate, let's just quickly get your takes on the two matches. Um, mm. Do I need to ask you what's going to happen with Para and the Cowboys? Look, obviously, I'm a one-eyed eel. I think Parramatta win and win well. The pressure, it's there. But I think the expectation of this group, they're going to lift to the challenge. They're going to make their first grand final since 2009. But what I do want to add and what I do want to say about that game, just briefly, is to focus on the Cowboys for a moment and looking at, you know, their run and their season. And although a lot of people are favoring the Cowboys, yes, they've had the week off. They're playing at home. They're playing in Townsville. The reality is when you look at the ladder, we only finished one win behind them in the scheme of things. So we finished on 34 points, Cowboys on 36. So we're very, very closely aligned in terms of how our regular seasons went. But when you look at some of the matches, right, you know, and, and the matches that the Cowboys played and their run into the finals, I mean, they beat Cronulla in week one in a very tight golden point contest. They were probably just slightly the better team on the day, but they weren't super impressive. They beat a reserve-grade Panthers team. They lost to the Rabbitohs. You know, they beat easy teams like the Warriors and the Bulldogs. They lost to the Roosters. Um, they should have lost to the Tigers. They lost to the Sharks at home. So they've, they've been beaten at home a couple of times this year, and they haven't been super impressive. They They've had a fairly easy run. They've had to play Melbourne twice. I mean, they played them once and and they won off the back of a, a lot of Melbourne injuries. When they played Penrith at home, they got thrashed. So just building a bit of hope into the, the minds of Parramatta fans, if you like, that, hey, this Cowboys team, they're beatable. We can beat them. I know we didn't beat them earlier in the year playing up in Townsville, but you give us a red-hot chance this Friday night. I actually think that the week off maybe works against the Cowboys. It, it doesn't work in their favour, I think it, work, it works against them because Parramatta coming off a, 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 a big win like they did with a lot of confidence is a perfect preparation for a big game. Cowboys, week off, they might get a bit overexcited, a little bit cocky. They've had a big fan day and they've had all this build-up up there. That might get to their heads. They, they'll lose this game. Parramatta win, progress to the grand final. Okay, give us, a, give, us your, give us your score, your first try scorer and your best on field. I do think it's going to be a very close game, no doubt about it. I think Parramatta win 20 points to 16. Um, first try scorer, it's a hard one, but I'm going to go with um, Clint Gutherson. I mean, he's the heart and soul of this club. He looks primed. He looks in good form. He didn't score one last week, deserves one. So I'm going to say Gutho, first try scorer, best on field. I'm going to have this one tied. Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown. So Mitch and Dylan to combine, play one of their best games of the year to put us into the GF. So they're, they're my two equal best on ground. Can't split them. And, and I might say to you too, Gutho should have had that try last week except for the denial. Correct. Which, you know, like, uh, don't, I, I, I won't <laughs> That start. was not a forward pass. <laughs> no. Anyway. 
no. Positive, <laughs> positive monster. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. And, okay, so the Panthers and the Rabbitohs, what, what happens there? Oh, what a game. Grand final rematch. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this Saturday night at a core stadium. When you look at the betting markets for this one, it's interesting because the Panthers are paying $1.37 on sports bet. The Rabbits are paying $3.10. I'd jump on the bunnies at 310 because you just never know. I just feel like they're coming into this with a lot of confidence. Um, they've had a few good wins. Latrell is going to leave his best performance of the year to this game. He's going to be on fire. He wasn't amazing last week. And I just feel like, yeah, this is going to be a home game for the Rabbitohs. They're going to have a lot of their fans there. And I'm still going to tip the Panthers because they're a quality team and, and I think they're going to be primed for this. But... You, you don't ride the Rabbitohs off. They're a quality team. In terms of the question you've asked other guests on the podcast this week about if Parramatta were to qualify for the grand final, who would you want them to play? It'd be the Panthers, no doubt about that. I don't think uh, – well, not that I don't think, but I think it'll be a much difficult, much more difficult task to, to have to beat the Rabbitohs. They would have won three straight games coming into this. They're in fine form, and we've had a very – uh, poor record against them in the, the recent history. So I want to be playing Penrith in the grand final. The funny thing is, before the season even started, right, I wrote down on a piece of paper my predictions for season 2022, a number of things. Uh, I predicted the ladder, you know, one to eight, put all, you know, who, I, who I'd think f- would finish where. I picked that Penrith would finish first, Parramatta would finish fourth. So I got those two right. Not bad. I predicted that South would finish, uh, Roosters would finish sixth, Rabbitohs would finish seventh, so I got that correct. And I also predicted for my grand final, it'd be a battle of the West, Eels v Panthers. So I'm hoping for my uh, for my tipping sack as well that I didn't have any money on it. It was just a friendly prediction. But I'm hoping for that sake that it's a battle of the West grand final and that's what I think it'll be come Sunday week. Yeah, I've, um, I've touched on this a couple of times in the podcast, Spiro, and you know your, your sort of predictions coming back to them sort of made me think of it again. When you look back on Parramatta's season, it's a bit of a Hollywood script from the injury crisis early on and battling through that to the you know triumphant you know flag planting wins over the the Panthers and the Storm to even the hiccups. And then you look like just our run to the finals. You get the round twenty five straight up shootout for a top four spot against one of your you know modern nemesis in the or nemesi in the Melbourne Storm. You, you meet the Panthers, lose to them in dramatic circumstances because your your halfback can cuss himself. Play a team you've never played in the finals the week after to get the monkey off your back. You're now going up to beat the Heat in Townsville with a ticket against either the best team in the competition or your number one bogey side. Like that is some Hollywood drama mm. right there. So the it, it wouldn't be a Parramatta uh, final series or a, a breakthrough series, hopefully, uh, without doing it the Hollywood way. I reckon. So <laughs> it's it's going one way or another to the script. 100%. Super keen for Friday night, guys. I, I can't wait. I would love to get up there to Townsville, but I'm going to be uh, in the McDonald's interactive studio with a continuous call team cheering on the boys on Friday night with a continuous call team. Well, mate, it's uh, it's a big week ahead. Uh, we've, I've spoken to you saying, uh, said that we'll be uh, at Parramatta Leagues Club with their live event. We're really looking forward to that. It's uh, We had a meeting there with them yesterday just to go through uh, some of the plans. Uh, those uh, more details will be coming out very soon. Um, but for now, mate, I think it just leaves me to say one thing. Go you wheels and thanks for being here, mate. Thank you, guys. And uh, let's hope that the blue and gold can get the job done and, and 
getting into the first grand final for the club since 2009. Well said, mate. And as always, thanks for stopping by, giving us a listen. We'll catch you in tomorrow's episode. We've got Bernie Gurr coming on to preview all of the action on Friday night. Until then, stay safe. See you guys next time.